You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Very good. Uh, before, um, before we get into a conversation with um, Representative P. King, uh, who has graciously uh, consented to talk to us today about uh, MS-13, um, the gang violence that's associated with them, as well as other related security issues, uh, I want to take a moment and ask you, Pete, to talk about uh, the pardon that President uh, Trump signed yesterday uh, to pardon the uh, former and deceased um, heavyweight champion Jack Johnson, because I know that you, you and Senator McCain, have been fighting for a pardon for Jack Johnson for many years. And I'd love to hear why you think this was an important thing to do. Yeah, this, uh, this goes back to at least 2004, 2005, when Senator McCain and I introduced resolutions in Congress uh, calling for a pardon for Jack Johnson. And the reason we did this is that uh, in some ways just to uh, uh, make amends for an era of injustice, uh, when Jack Johnson became the first African-American heavyweight champion, the boxing champion was the number one athlete in the world. It's not like it is today, but the, uh, this, this person was known around the world. He was the most famous athlete in the uh, country, around the world. And yet, because he was African-American, that really is the reason, Jack Johnson was hounded. He received terrible treatment in the media, including from the so-called liberal New York Times. And he did leave a pretty uh, wild lifestyle. He had various white girlfriends, which at the time was considered to be sinful, I guess, and uh, shocked a lot of people. Anyway, they got him on a phony route of uh, taking a uh, white woman across the state line, said that violated the Mann Act. Uh, he was uh, indicted, he was convicted, spent time in prison. Uh, he basically he was never the same fighter again. He uh, had to leave the country for a while to fight. And, uh, so, and he had this cloud hanging over him. Then he was killed in a car accident years later. So Senator McCain and I thought this was one way to correct an injustice against uh, Jack Johnson himself for that uh, really five conviction, which everyone agrees now is was a phony one, but also to just uh, bring to a close the, all the injustice that did exist at that, at that time. Now, we, I guess we first introduced it in 2004, 2005, and we've done it ever since. But significantly, in the beginning of 2009, after President Obama had been elected and he had defeated John McCain, Senator McCain, I was really a big player in this, Senator McCain... Uh, thought it would be ideal to have the first African-American president sign a pardon or grant a pardon to the first African-American heavyweight champion when that legislation was sponsored by uh, President Obama's white opponent in the last uh, campaign. It was so really a, a great uh, spirit of conciliation, a unity for the country, also a racial union, and for whatever reason, Senator, uh, President Obama never, not in the grant of pardon, he never even got back to us. They gave, we got some a message from some obscure pardon officials saying that they generally don't grant pardons to dead people, and I thought it was really a missed opportunity. And again, I was as much 
an observer as anything else. This was John McCain and President Obama. And I thought John McCain was going above and beyond and really making the effort to reach a national reconciliation here. And for whatever reason, President Obama just ignored it and just you know, turned away from it. So President Trump uh, ran to the pardon yesterday. I think uh, you know, I'd like to take all the credit, and well, John McCain never lost the credit anyway. The person who really, I guess, gets the immediate credit is Sylvester Stallone. He's a friend of the president. The president is a big boxing fan. And Sylvester Stallone really uh, made a real pitch and a real argument to have the pardon granted. And President Trump went ahead and did it. So he did what Barack Obama did not do. And yet somehow President Trump is called a racist. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, congratulations in, um, in bringing this issue forward. It certainly sounds like justice was done with the granting of the pardon. Um, I want to mention that um, Congressman King is a member of the Homeland Security Committee in Congress. He was chairman for several years when the committee, in my humble opinion, was uh, doing fantastic work um, under his chairmanship. He is also chairman currently of the Subcommittee on Counterterrorism. And in that capacity, as well as being a congressman on Long Island, which is one of the leading places where the gang MS-13 has been wreaking havoc and uh, increasing fear, President Trump came to Long Island, and sitting at his um, at his side was Congressman King, rightfully so. Uh, can you share with our audience, Congressman King, what is the challenge when it comes to MS-13, and why is it important? That, per, that the President of the United States, this is his second visit to Long Island uh, on this particular issue, why that is important in the war against these, may I use the term, animals? Yeah, the only uh, offense I take to using animals, I think it's unfair to animals, because uh, MS-13, these are horrible, horrible people. Uh, I just put it in some context, here in Long Island, uh, I, I represent a number of really great communities. Two of them are centralized up in Brentwood, and they have created a horrible situation, MS-13 has, in those communities. In the last uh, several years, we've had more than 25 people killed on Long Island, uh, most of them in central Islip and uh, Brentwood. And when I say kill, this isn't like the old-time mob killings where bad guys killed each other or maybe there was the occasional innocent person who was killed, which is always bad, don't get me wrong. But what makes this so unique is almost all these people who are killed are young people. They're immigrants almost entirely, certainly they're from the Hispanic community. And they are not just killed. They are cut and macheted and bludgeoned to death with body parts cut off. There's one case, not in New York, but Maryland, where they actually cut the person's heart out. Victims have been decapitated. Uh, the faces are cut off. In some of the instances, they do this and they video it and send the videos to the, uh, the family members so they see exactly how excruciating this was. And the idea is not to kill them to the very end. They just torture them to death with machetes and knives. It's absolutely brutal. 
Uh, it's not even something where this, this is not a, a gang not interested in drugs, not that interested in uh, uh, money, uh, not even that interested in women. It's, it's just power for the sake of power to show that they are the meanest. Where did they come from? The gang comes from, gang comes from El Salvador. Uh, it's, uh, it actually originated in Los Angeles, but right now it's directed in El Salvador. And it's increased in the last several years on Long Island for a number of reasons. One is the Salvadoran community, which MS-13 has able to infiltrate. One of the ways they've been able to do it is what are called the unclean These are young kids who came across the border. Everyone, excuse me, everyone felt sorry for them. Uh, the goal is to place them with uh, families who will take them in so they get picked up by the Border Patrol and then they're turned over to Health and Human Services, their uh, refugee placement, and they're put in homes of volunteers. All of this sounds very humane. It sounds very uh, uh, something we should all be supporting. But the fact is that in a number of those cases, in a number of those cases, uh, we find that the families who volunteer to take the kids are either MS-13 families themselves or they have relatives back in El Salvador who are threatened uh, with death unless these parents take the kids in. These kids are trained to be to recruit other MS-13, uh, uh, to recruit other kids to uh, MS-13. In the last series of indictments, there were 13 uh, young people indicted for these brutal murders. Seven of them were unexpected minors who came across the, uh, the border in just the last two or three years. So this is what we're facing. And uh, for too long, some of the school authorities didn't want to acknowledge it. And the president believed that uh, when ICE does go in and make their raids, you have these local leaders, so-called local leaders in the community saying it's racism, it's bigoted. Uh, when the police do it, they say the same thing. So the president wants to make this a national. These are, these are immigrants being killed by MS-13 gang members. And when the uh, federal and local law enforcement wanted to go in or do does go in, they get attacked by the so-called leaders of the people whose lives we're saving. I've dealt with the family members, those who have been killed. They support what President Trump is doing. They support what ICE and Homeland Security are doing. They're supporting what the Nassau County and Suffolk County police are doing. And the president has also put more money into it. He's put more agents into it. They've uh, appointed more prosecutors. And he has sent the word through the federal bureaucracy that this is of major importance to him. And uh, that, uh, you see a vast number of arrests in the last year. Still, as you replace 10 of them, let's say another eight come in. So it's an ongoing war. We have to stay on top of it. And the president wants to mobilize public opinion. And also it shows weaknesses in our immigration system, why we need stronger border security. I mean, if we had a, a wall at the border, these kids wouldn't be able to walk across the border. If we did proper vetting, uh, we hadn't even been vetting the families that the kids went to. See what families they came from, to see if they came from MS. 13 families, and they never followed up. They had one follow-up. Uh, this is Health and Human Services, the refugee resettlement. They would place the kids in these homes and never come back and check on them. Uh, and they didn't tell the local police that these kids were in. They felt that would be profiling, I guess, to be following a Salvadoran kid as opposed to some kid from Norway. So they, uh, as a result of that, the uh, police and law enforcement who was in the community, schools, in some cases, there was one hallway in one uh, middle school, I believe it was, which was an MS-13 hallway. 
other kids were not allowed to walk down at risk of getting themselves killed. So it's a horrible situation. Thank God the president is focusing intensely on it, and he's throwing political correctness out the window. You know, in, I watched the roundtable that you participated in that the president uh, chaired or hosted, and the stories of the families, uh, the, the parents of children who were massacred by MS-13 was truly heart-wrenching. And as, just as a citizen of the United States, as Cindy is saying, how could it have gotten so out of control? Do you have an answer to that? I would say for too long the federal government was politically correct and not making the all-out effort. I don't think I ever heard President Obama say the term MS-13 even one time. He never spoke out against it. Uh, I think there's a fear that if you speak out against MS-13, you're going to be called anti-immigrant, which President Trump is being called, that you're being called racist, which he is being called, and that you're somehow supporting police brutality by having the police and Homeland Security carry out these raids, which is so essential, by the way. But, uh, and, and also, I think that people who support, uh, who, are, who are reluctant to have secure borders, they think that by having MS-13 there uh, and by pointing out what MS-13 is doing, that's going to make it, quote-unquote, easier to get tighter border security, to have tougher restrictions put on illegal immigration. And they, uh, that, that's not their priority. So now I'm not saying that they support MS-13. I'm not saying that they uh, in any way encourage MS-13. But too many people are afraid to take tough stands against MS-13 for the you know, all the politically correct reasons I gave you. I mean, just see last week when President Trump said they were animals, and you had Nancy Pelosi racing to the microphone. Did she ever race to the microphone when any of those kids were being hacked to death? I, I was just going to raise that. Uh, the reactions of Nancy Pelosi, and I think also Chuck Schumer, the knee-jerk politically correct reactions goes to what you were saying, that there's a fear that if you, uh, you know, you call a reality the reality, that it'll make it um, more difficult for uh, their side of the political spectrum uh, to uh, keep their policies in force. Um, are, isn't this, I mean, to me, and I, and I hear from what you're saying, isn't this, a perfect issue that Democrats, Republicans, liberals, and conservatives should all agree on. And I would think that the average person does agree we have to stop these guys. I have no doubt that the average American does agree. And I think it would be actually politically, if I were advising Democrats, I would tell them this is one way to show that uh, they uh, do support tough uh, action against bad people. And, uh, and isolate the issue away from immigration for their sake. But instead, uh, by uh, throwing up the obstacles on MS-13 investigations and saying that ICE is guilty of Gestapo and uh, warlike tactics and that we're intentionally trying to uh, destroy families and hurt innocent people, by doing that, to me, it makes it harder to get any type of overall immigration work done. And uh, so, uh, listen, politically... Uh, I would say this is going to help Republicans, but to me, it's really irrelevant here because I, I, I deal with these family members. I know what they go through. I've been to the wakes. I, uh, this is horrific. 
And this community, by the way, which being an immigrant community and in the early stages of being an immigrant begin with. There's two of us comes here. So they are in some cases reluctant to go to the police. They are reluctant to speak out. And one of the reasons for that is, besides being isolated, is that they have leaders in the community who basically tell them not to cooperate with the police. Who every time uh, Homeland Security or the Suffolk and Essex County Police make these raids and uh, arrest large numbers of MS-13, you have these leaders telling people this is just an excuse to get innocent immigrants, to get innocent people, to harass innocent people. And it scares people off. And that is, to me, is the, one of the major impediments. Now, listen, within, I, I live in a white community, and I'm emphasizing that. Within two miles of my house, the police are digging for bodies of MS-13 victims. It's not white people that are being killed. It's not middle-class people that are being killed. Who are being killed here are uh, Central American immigrants in their communities. They're the ones who are being killed. They're the ones who are the victims here. And President Trump is attempting to help them. And somehow he's being called the racist for putting his reputation, his administration on the line to protect these innocent Central American immigrants in their own community. You know, one of the things that came out of that roundtable, which several of the parents as well as the elected officials who were there, mentioned was that the motto of MS-13 is kill, rape, and control. I mean, do we need any, do we need any more enlightenment as to what these characters are up to? So that, that says it all. And in fact, ironically enough, the reason President Trump is being criticized for using the term animals, it was a major MS-13 person convicted in Boston, sentenced to 40 years in prison, his nickname is the animal. proud of that. And that was a, an animal. Yeah. So, uh, now, it's, just, it's brutal what's happening, and I applaud the president for putting political correctness aside and doing what has to be done. Uh, shifting gears, um, last week uh, the United States uh, moved its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me tell you the first thing that comes to my mind. It's one of anger. When I saw the American media, the Daily News, with this horrible picture of Ivanka Trump and somehow implying that she was supporting the murder of innocent people by the Israelis, the fact is that that was a terrorist-led attack by Hamas using young people, and if there were 70, 75 people killed, we know at least 60 of them were terrorists. The others were young people being used by Hamas, attacking into Israel. Israel did what it had to do to defend itself, and rather than saying terrorists attack Israel, Israelis fight back, it was that somehow Israel was intentionally going in to murder innocent young people, and the fact the Daily News and the New York Times, and so much of the national media, uh, wrote it that way and highlighted it that way, to me, it's disgraceful. Now, on the really positive side, President Trump is the first president to carry out a pledge that so many other presidents have made to move the American embassy to Jerusalem. And as far as I know, Israel was the only country that was not having an embassy uh, in the country, in the city where it, it asked for. I mean, in uh, England, we do it in London, Ireland, we do it in Dublin. Italy, we do it in Rome, and you go in China, you go to Beijing, Russia, Moscow, 
but yet because of of offending, I guess the PLO and uh, you know some of the radicals for years, the American uh, you know, the U.S. government has not put its embassy in Jerusalem. This was the right thing to do, and the duly elected government of Israel asked to have it done. The president did it; he kept his commitment, and yet you read it. Somehow President Trump and Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli Defense Force conspired. All this was done as an excuse to kill uh, innocent uh, Palestinians. Really a disgrace. And by the way, if there's any group of people in the world who have been hurt by their own leadership, it's the Palestinians. They've been used as pawns for years by the Palestinian leadership and by the Arab nations. And so they do have a legitimate grievance, but it's not against Israel. It's against, it's against their own. Another foreign policy or big foreign policy decision made by the Trump administration recently was to bring an end to American participation in the uh, Iranian nuclear agreement. What are your thoughts on that? I support the president 100%, and I support 100% what Chuck Schumer said uh, two years ago, or three years ago, whenever it was, when uh, you know, that agreement was, was voted on. It's a bad deal for the United States. It's a very good deal for Iran. But again, it's a terrible deal for the United States. It basically builds in and locks in uh, Iran's uh, nuclear infrastructure. And it allows them, after a relatively brief period of time, to break out as a nuclear power. And the action the president took, you know, it's a real temptation. You think maybe if you're the president yourself, okay, Iran's not going to declare war on us. They're not going to attack us the next two, two years, four years, five years, six years. So just kick it down and let the next president worry about it. But the longer we wait, the longer we delay making the tough action or taking the tough action that we have to, the more difficult it becomes. So whoever the next presidents end up being after 2024, they should be very thankful that President Trump took this action now. And hopefully the Europeans will stop pontificating and stop dwelling on process and realize that they should be joining with us in reimposing the sanctions on Iran and pressing for a, a real denuclearization, a real, uh, real inspection system, and an assistance that Iran stopped in support of terrorism. So this is just, uh, to me, the president doing the right thing. I have to admit, it's, uh, I, yeah, you deal with Europeans in some ways, they're good allies, but I have found them that they are fascinated by process, as long as there's talks going on, as long as there's something in writing, they're satisfied with that. What's happening on the ground, they're willing to look the other way on. And uh, uh, let's face it, Iran is doing what they, you know, what they can to make the most of this agreement. But even if they didn't, even if they fully abided by the agreement, at the end of it, they're going to be in a position to be a nuclear power. And that would be with the uh, approval of all those who signed the agreement. And, uh, and then for, also for people to say that, President Trump was wrong for him to act unilaterally. Well, remember, this was never a treaty. President Obama never submitted it to Congress or to the Senate to be ratified as a treaty. This was basically an executive action by him, and he was the one who unilaterally stopped the anti-missile system that President Bush had promised the Eastern European countries, both against Islamist attack and also against Russian attack. So uh, President Obama, uh, to me, was not at all an effective president. And for those who claim that this agreement was the right agreement or that President Trump is wrong to uh, get us out of it, uh, I disagree completely. I stand with President Trump 100% on the Iran agreement. Yeah, I, today, just uh, an hour ago, uh, a news report 
came across that Iran's allies in Yemen shot missiles at a Turkish cargo ship. And the White House reacted in very strong terms. And one of the points that uh, President Trump and the administration has made about why they left the Iran nuclear deal was that, and reimposed very strong sanctions, is that they felt that it was important to starve Iran economically so that it would stop spreading terrorism because as we all know Iran is the largest state sponsor of terrorism. No, I agree completely that we should do everything we can to starve them economically. Uh, and also this is one country in the Middle East uh, besides Israel of course that polling shows and I, I, I am a believer in polling uh, certainly if it's done by the right people, like my good friend John McLaughlin. But anyway, uh, when polling is done, it shows that the Iranian people are pro-American. They, uh, so there is a real movement on the ground against the Ayatollahs. And uh, if we can increase that by economic power, then uh, I, I think we, we have to not think. I know we have to do it. I mean, President Obama missed a golden opportunity back in 2009, I guess, when there was basically a revolution in the streets, and he just turned his back uh, because he wanted to have this nuclear agreement, which was going to be the capstone of his presidency. Now, Iran is the leading supporter of terrorism in the world. They are, uh, they are therefore, basically, their, their goal is to destroy uh, Western democracy, to advance the most radical form of, you know, their version of uh, Islam. And uh, they, you know, those mullahs, those ruling mullahs, are uh, evil people. And the fact that we gave them so much money as part of this agreement also, like President Obama did, uh, again, shows to me the uh, inherent weakness of the agreement. And also, though, the, there is an underlying weakness in the Iranian economy that we should be exploiting. Uh, Congressman King, um, before we sign off, I would like you to share with the audience your thoughts as we are taping this while we are about to uh, celebrate Memorial Day. What is it um, about Memorial Day that you would hope that all Americans uh, understand and appreciate and uh, make it part of their celebrations? To me, the main thing is that America is the greatest country in the history of the world. I'm saying that objectively and proudly. And the reason we're able to maintain our freedoms and our greatness is because of the men and women, the brave Americans who answered their nation's call and went into battle for us, many of whom, too many of whom, paid the ultimate sacrifice. We have to remember them now. And we also, to make it maybe more current, realize how horrible and evil it is for football players and athletes who refuse to stand and honor our flag during the national anthem. And... Uh, these, but again, these men who put their lives in the line and these women who answered the nation's call, went into battle and fought under most brutal conditions and lost their lives, gave their lives to this nation. Let's remember, that's why you and I are able to have this conversation. Uh, that's why we're able to enjoy the blessings of this country and why we're able to celebrate on, on Memorial Day. So let's celebrate, but let's also honor the memory of those who died for us. 
Congressman Peter King, I want to thank you for taking time out to share with us uh, your extremely important work. And, uh, and I would hope that in the future, in the near future, that you would come back, give us uh, updates on MS-13, the battle against them. And I want to thank you for your stellar service on behalf of the United States of America. Thank you, Peter. You're very welcome. Thank you. It's an honor for me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org.